Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we've actually been in a teaching series to tell you a few more things about our church, actually, not just the giving, but one of the things we've been doing is talking about values, kind of these, these important markers for us that from the beginning of this church, some of you maybe know this, the church is still a very a younger church. We've only been around as a, a local church for about seven years. We, we felt like that it might be a good time this season to tell you about some values that have been so important to our church. These are like markers like in the, in the sand or markers in the ground to say, these are the kinds of things we knew God's been calling us to and to practice these kinds of things together. Now, if you've been here, you've been watching, uh, maybe you, you remember, you remember some of these. Now, some of you maybe don't remember or you're forgetful or you're married to somebody who's forgetful like me. Uh, you know, there's something that was invented a few years ago called YouTube. And you could go back and watch some of these. But before I just give you kind of a quick kind of reminder, I'm just curious, just for yourself, how many of you remember some of those values? How many of you remember the four values that we've looked at? You know, if some of you remember them, or you're next to somebody who remembered them, because they're like, I remember, just stick close to those people. They're smart ones. Just like in class, there's some people who remember. But I'm going to just show them to you very, very quickly on the slide just as a snapshot of where we've been. And here they are, four values we've looked at together. Okay, one is that as a church, we are committed to truth and grace. This is, sounds great on a slide, so hard to do in real life, right? That's why it's a value, because values are things you have to work into. You work towards these kinds of things. And that's actually a beautiful snapshot of the life Jesus called us to live. The other thing is, what does it mean to develop discerning disciples? To be discerning in this day will be one of the most important things that we do with the power of the Holy Spirit. We discern what it means to be in spaces that are awkward or hard or difficult. And we discern what, the, what it means to be in those places as the light, as disciples of Jesus. Maybe you were here last week and you remember what does it mean that we're committed to teach, not just to tell people stuff. You know what's one thing that won't change, right? None of you will ever like people telling you stuff. All of us know this. People telling you stuff is annoying. People telling you stuff sometimes belittling. And we want to be a church that doesn't just tell people, but teaches people why Jesus would have said certain things. And this is an important part of our value, of how we think about teaching not only Sunday, but home groups and Alpha and all these things that go on. And, and, and the last one I think that I think about often these days is the one about hope. What does it mean to be people who grow as people of hope? I said this in that sermon, and if you go back to watch it, you'll hear it, is that hope in the Christian faith is a discipline. It's something we have to be committed to. And this week, let me tell you, as I was watching the news and looking at stuff on my phone, I just felt how easy it is to become hopeless. How easy it is to be discouraged. How easy it is to wonder, like, God, why are things happening? Why this violence? Why these wars? And just in the next few days, many of us are going to be bombarded with possibly a new war that's happening in the Middle East. 
Can I just encourage you to do something really, really important? If you're part of this church and I'm your pastor, remember this is important. For every minute you spend looking at your device, spend the same amount of time praying. Just remember that. Your phone is made and rigged with an algorithm to send you consistent messages that you would click about how the world is falling apart. Your phones, our devices were created to make the people who made them money. They're not meant to make you more like Jesus. So if we're not careful, and we're not a church that's against all those things, if we're not careful, this habit of just being just bombarded with information that we can't process or understand or make sense of in the moment will make us feel hopeless. And it'll make it really hard to live the value of growing as people of hope. So especially as we look at some days off or maybe some time on your phone, as you're looking at stuff, just say, I'm going to put my phone away now. I've been looking at it for a little while. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray for some of the things I just saw, for leaders and people in difficult situations and crisis and violence and division. Just pray. Say, Jesus, what does it mean for me to step into this world with a heart full of hope? Hope doesn't mean we ignore the pain. Hope doesn't mean we're fake positivity. No, no, no. Hope means that we believe that Jesus is making all things new. And we trust what Jesus says. And so these are like the four values that we've been looking at. And this morning, I want to give you kind of the last one. The last one is kind of a, a, a tricky one, and it's a very personal one for me. This value could have been named a lot of different things, but to make it really, really simple, it's the value that we pursue Christian unity. We pursue Christian unity as a church. If you're watching online, maybe it's new for you, or maybe you haven't been with us here. But in Quebec, in the province of Quebec, just the division and the way Christians sometimes model divisiveness, gossip, uh, judgmentalism, even towards other Christians, becomes very common to the way people think about church. It's very personal in my own life and my own story, because some of you know this. When I was really, really young, I grew up for many years in the Roman Catholic Church. My family was connected to the Catholic Church when I was young. I was actually even an altar boy. How many of you knew that about me? I was an altar boy. Any altar boys? Altar boys in the room? Yes. I don't know if there's an award, but I feel excited. Okay, no, it wasn't that cool, actually. Uh, but I used, to, I used to be an altar boy, and when I was like 13 or 14, my mom had this experience and the love of Jesus for her made sense in a new way and she started attending like a Protestant church with some Pentecostals and they could be different than Catholics so it's a bit different and I remember my family feeling just the division the pain the anger the God like what is that even just the unknown of what does that mean and so whenever I think of this value I think about how important it is that it's not only a value that we practice in our church it's a practice that we model in our homes when we talk with those we disagree with when we think of other Christians who do things differently, that we can disagree without demonizing, that we can disagree and even have a dialogue about saying, hey, you know what? We read the Bible in a different way. We need to grow from this, but we want to pursue Christian unity together, that we want to do this in such a way where Jesus calls us to this deeper place to model something different. And let me tell you now, this will be challenging, very challenging, because in our culture, everything about the world is about division. Everything about the world is almost a type of tribalism. And this morning, I want to show you in a very simple way just three ways that we as a church pursue this, this value. Three ways that we live into this value. We don't just hope for unity. We don't just pray for unity. We pursue Christian unity. We look for ways to, to deal with something when there's conflict, to carefully discuss it or to deal with it, right? Because unity doesn't just happen by mistake. And one of the ones I want to begin with is to talk to you about that we pursue Christian unity by making the gathering together as Christians essential. And I wrote it this way. We follow the biblical command to consistently gather as the church. 
We do this. And we do this because we know that in this place, this is one of the only places in the world where we still gather together with people that are different than us, from different cultures, different customs. And yet Jesus says, as you gather in my name, I will teach you how to be united in your hearts. We actually get an English word, which is the word community from that word. And we do communion to help us with that. But we don't always do unity well like this. We actually live in a culture, I think, where it's very easy to just ignore this altogether. I meet people who are like, you know, uh, I just hang out with people that I like. I have some friends. But to work hard and get up early and shower, you know, show up at church, you're like, ah, whatever, I'm not into that. And sometimes when I talk to people like that, I wonder if they remember a passage in the Bible that talks about the command of doing this together. This is what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We just sang about that. And let us consider, how, let us consider, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. You might not know this, but in the Bible times, people had no phones, no TVs, and none of the stuff that we have, and yet there's still a warning to them to not forget to meet together. It's encouraging to know that no matter how far we go from the Bible times, there's always going to be excuses we can make to say, this is not that important. Getting together with people that are not like me, it's not that important. We could ignore how important it would be for us to consistently commit to gather together and to not neglect the importance of this. You know, one of the things about being the church like this is we don't only celebrate that we're pursuing Christian unity. We're celebrating that we're diverse, that there's a kind of diversity in the body of Jesus. There's a diversity of culture and customs and songs. You know, I was in Ethiopia over the summer and with our brothers and sisters in Africa. And in their worship, they're like dancing. They're doing their moves. I'm like, whoa, they're on fire here. I mean, some of you would be like, we have to clap. I don't know my coffee. I'm not into that clapping. I'm nervous. You know, whatever. Christians in Africa don't care about you, okay? But they're just, just the idea that it's beautiful to think the diversity of the church of Jesus. And that he's given us this gift of learning to be united in the midst of all this diversity. Just saying that we're not here just for each other. We're here to worship Jesus as Lord. And we're learning to do that faithfully. Why do we do that? The the passage says why we do that. Because when we do this consistently, it gives us opportunities to encourage, motivate one another to continue doing the good things God's called us to do. I know I felt this in my life. There's been times when I've been so discouraged tired, overwhelmed, things. And, and I'm here in church and I'm thinking, I got to preach. I'm like, I don't feel like preaching today. I'm tired. I'm like, and I hear you singing. If you're online, I wish, I wish you could hear us singing at times and just encourage. And, and I get ready and I feel like it's almost like you're filling me up as you sing when I can't sing. Or you're encouraging someone next to you when you're praying and they can't pray. The Bible tells us that we're going to need each other to encourage one another to grow in this unity, to pursue this unity together, to be committed to this way of life. I think of this passage often when I think about my relationship with my wife. Bev and I, when we started dating, we had a long-distance relationship, and we often, you know, would travel back and forth. It was really hard. I was here in Montreal. She was in Ontario for a little while before we got married, and every so often, if I could, I would, like, surprise her and try to drive down and just get... It was so romantic. It was beautiful. Super corny now. I don't do that anymore. But... (laughs) Don't tell her, it's still love. But all these things. But imagine if you found out that this long-distance relationship, Bev moved to Montreal. She moved to town. 
And I told you, hey, Bev moved to town, and you know, instead of doing the long-distance calling and FaceTime and all this stuff, we'll get together. And I say to you, you know what? I don't like getting together with her. Like, I got a shower. Sometimes seeing her face-to-face is weird. I like that when we just stayed at a distance. And instead of, like, getting together regularly, I said to you, you know what? We're still just talking on the phone. We're not meeting together. And you would say to me, like, she lives in the city, and you're not getting together regularly? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we don't do that anymore. What would you say to me? Now, if you practice the value number one, which is grace and truth, you would say, hey, Dom, that's nice, but we don't think it's healthy for you to think your marriage or your relationship is going to grow if you never want to be together. Wouldn't you say that? Of course you would say that. You would say, it's fine that you talk on the phone when you need to, but the goal is to be present, to look at each other, to sense what the person feels, even when they don't speak, right? Same principle applies to being Christians together the same idea. Then when people tell me, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever, I'm not into church. It's fine. We all have challenges with that. But the Bible had to command us to not neglect the importance of gathering together, of doing this to encourage each other. And we're very much aware that it's difficult for some people, depending on their jobs. And some of you are watching online, and we want to just encourage you, if you can, to join us in person, whenever you can. Some people live in other provinces and other areas, and that's hard. But the commitment is clear, that we would commit to this somehow. And as we do it together, it would be a way that we pursue unity. We pursue seeing each other and remembering each other and praying for someone else and laughing with someone else and for our kids to see that as well. I want to show you why, for Jesus, that it would have been so important to teach his disciples about this kind of unity. From the beginning of the story of the Bible, the devil has always used one trick, the same trick that he continues to use today, to destroy the importance of Christian unity to destroy the importance of brothers and sisters being united. And that is to keep people isolated. To keep us isolated, to keep us alone, because we all know if we're alone long enough, if we're isolated long enough, we start to feel like nobody cares. We start to feel like maybe it's only us. We start to feel like what we're going through, our questions are only our questions, and it gets weird. Look at this slide. I just have a slide of a few passages in the Bible that you can read about the ways the devil shows up when people are all by themselves. This is an example, the temptations of being in isolation. The first one in the Bible, the book of Genesis. You see Eve right at the beginning in the garden. She's alone. And as she's alone, the serpent comes and says, hey, what's going on? Look at this fruit, all these things. It's all good. Really, God? All of these moments. And in that moment of isolation, she does something, changes the world forever. Isolated. You look at David, one of the greatest kings of Israel. All this power, all this authority, all this might. But when you're isolated, they can almost mean nothing. King David sits in this palace. He decides that one time he's not going to go to battle. He's not going to be with his men. He's isolated and he's alone. And he's tempted by a woman that he sees that is not his wife. And he decides, I will have her. Not only does he take her, he then has to murder her husband and on and on and on. Isolation. Just move out of the way. And then after a while, you just kind of justify things. Judas. A great example in the New Testament. Painful example in the New Testament. Now, I put Judas in the alley. It's not in the Bible, but that's how I, I hear it in my head. So that's free, by the way. Don't send me a note and say, oh, that's not in the Bible. I know, I know, relax. It's Christian unity. Uh, but Judas is somewhere in some alley. <laughs> somewhere. Enough that his heart is moving from using money to loving money. Enough that his heart is moved from having a bit of money to just wanting just a bit more money. Greed is just there, and it happens. So how much money if we tell you where Jesus is? How much money? Why are no other disciples there slapping him in the head? 
Like, what the heck's wrong with you? He's alone, isolated. Temptation. In our culture, we, we almost make jokes of this. There's like a show. Somebody showed me this. There's shows on Netflix like I, being tempted on an island or something it's called. Or these random things you see. I'm like, we, we even like do it. Like, let's move people to an island to forget all the people's lives are going to ruin in real life and get them tempted. Let's try that. Play. Let's, let's watch this. Yeah, ridiculous. Not ridiculous. From the beginning. Then Jesus shows up. And he's alone. And he's tired. And he's in the wilderness. And guess who shows up to do what he's always done? The devil. Comes to see Jesus. Hey, really? You don't have to. Come on. You're going to go on a cross? You're the son of God. If you just snap your fingers, the, angel, the angels will show up. You're going to do that? And Jesus is like, the only one in the story that does not fall for the temptation. That's not how it works. And he leaves the wilderness. And the first thing that he does is he calls 12 disciples, apostles to follow him. If Jesus himself knew not to be alone, you don't think you're going to need the church to pursue unity with? You don't think so? We are fooling ourselves if we think we can follow Jesus and never realize that he's calling people to pursue this unity among those who are diverse and different. And Jesus did this with his own disciples. His own disciples who were like annoying and weird and didn't get along and he was teaching them, hey, hey, we don't talk that way. We don't judge that way. We don't act that way. I know that's your old life. This is your new life now. And he would have taught them this, to model this together. Can I encourage you to make it a priority to just really commit to doing this together? As we think about the next season in the fall, whatever your schedule looks like, we've even added two services to make it easier. Right? The next thing Jesus says is we're committed to pursue unity because Jesus prayed for us. Jesus himself prayed for us about this issue. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you might not know this. If you're online, maybe you're still new to Christianity. But the Bible tells us that Jesus went off to be by himself to pray. Regularly, we know Jesus did this. When it was busy, overwhelmed, he just was praying with God the Father. But rarely do we know what Jesus was praying. In fact, we have very few places in the Bible where we actually hear Jesus praying. Now, I remember growing up hearing my grandmother pray, and I was encouraged. I'm like, my grandmother loves me. Imagine hearing Jesus pray for you, what that would do. This is what Jesus says in one of his prayers. I, Jesus, pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, talking about his disciples, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed this prayer for us. Can you imagine that he prayed this prayer and we are not doing a good job of living into this prayer? That we are not committed in some ways to really being those who practice the, the importance of unity and not a kind of unity that is just like a fluffy getting along, hey, it's very nice to see you. It's the kind of unity that when the world sees it, they would know that there was something about who Jesus was and how special his message was because of this unity. You know this, that you don't have to come to church to be united to anyone else. Like, join a sports team. Join a bowling league. I don't know. Do whatever. If you ever watch sports and you watch people play sports and they're like, you know, we fought for each other. There's all kinds of examples in our culture of people trying to be united. But it's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about being united for the sake of being united. He's saying there's a kind of unity that points people to the glory of who I am. 
to the fact that I am the one and I and the Father are one. And that as you practice and you grow into this unity, people will get a glimpse of that. How are you doing with that? Do you find it easy sometimes to talk about someone else or make a comment and forget Jesus actually prayed for us to think about this, to grow into this. This is such a profound value for us as a church, and I think about it so often because over the years, so many difficult conversations I've had with people in our church have been about something that they enjoy, like a preference, something that they like, and because we didn't do something that they like or made sense for them, they just left the church. We didn't use the right Bible translation. They didn't like the coffee. They didn't like this. Maybe, you know, oh, it's too dark, it's too bright, it's too hot, it's too cold. All kinds of things. And I'm thinking, I think Jesus prayed for us to be united, for us to stay committed, for us to grow in unity. I want to just give you one very simple way to think about this, and it's important for us as a church. This is it. You'll see it on the screen. We are unwavering on essential doctrines of the faith, yet we're gracious on secondary issues. This is one of the ways we model pursuing Christian unity here. We are committed to saying there's some essential teachings in the Bible. They are non-negotiables. You can say, I don't believe them yet, I'm not sure. But the minute you say, I think Jesus is calling me to say yes to him. There's this awakening of like a structure and a life that Jesus calls us into. And some of those are unchanging. They're just, they, they, they've been passed on. Actually, we have the earliest disciples and apostles are martyrs in the faith to pass them on to us. But on secondary issues... We make tons of room, room to dialogue, to grow, to learn, to change our mind. And for so many people, the secondary issues in their life are primary issues. Somebody told them along the way that what they believe about something, it's, it's what God believes. On essential issues, yes. On secondary issues, maybe not. Think about the kinds of things it's easy to fight about. So many things we can fight about. If you don't think so, just throw in a pandemic in there and see what happens. See if we'll fight. This is not a new thing. We see this already in the Bible times. Paul writes to a church in Rome, and this is what he says to them, what they were fighting about. He says this, except that those in the, except the, the one, those one, whoa, the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You see, vegetarians, weakness, you get that right there? No, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. It doesn't mean that. We're pursuing unity, Iraq. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Amen. I hate him. I hate this church. Oh my goodness, let's pray. Okay. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. They were fighting about which day was more special. They were fighting about which foods we should eat. We have our own things we fight about. We throw them in there. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Could you just like remember that there's a strength and weakness depending on where you're at in your faith and sometimes you just have to make room and don't quarrel about these things? Especially in a way that other people who don't even know the story of Jesus will see that and think, why would we follow Jesus if none of you know how to follow Jesus? Because we confuse what it means that we're standing on essential issues, but we make room for secondary issues. There's this incredible proverb. It's an, it's an African proverb. You'll see it on the screen. And this is what it says when you think, I think about fighting. It says, when elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. Just think about what the church in the past 200 years, 300 years has done. When we've gotten into fights and we've forgotten the importance of pursuing Christian unity, who suffers? The next generation suffers. 
Those we love suffer. Those who don't know Jesus, they suffer. All these other people suffer because we felt like we had to be right in a conversation. We had to win a battle. We had to win the right idea instead of saying, you know what? Maybe Christians have different perspectives on this and that's okay. Maybe we can have some different views. Now on the essentials, we're firm together. On secondary issues, let's just talk. You know what it takes to do this well? You have to at least know what the essentials of the faith are. My expectation of you as a pastor is that you would know the essentials of the faith. And if you don't know them, send me a note and I'll send you a book. Or you're in a Bible study or you're at Alpha and you're learning them with us. So you know that these are the essentials and all these other things are just some different ways Christians are wrestling with mysteries and difficult passages. Are you committed to even growing in learning the essentials? Most people are like, no way. I grew up in this church and this is what we're doing and too bad. And when we go to heaven, only we're going to be there. Thanks, buddy. Let's just pray. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy because our culture fuels that. It fuels division. It fuels we're right and they're wrong. But we are a church that's committed to pursue Christian unity together. We're going to do that together. We're going to do that together because Jesus is praying for us and prayed for us and is giving us the strength to live out of this. I want to give you one of the the most practical examples of this in our church. Super practical, the easiest to remember. When you think of our staff. Our church staff is made up of people from different Christian traditions. You know how hard it is to deal with people like that? You know how hard it is for me to manage some of the staff? They're a disaster. We have, like, I grew up, I told you, in a Catholic world with some Pentecostal. Then we have someone on our staff who's super Pentecostal. You know, they come to staff with the flag, a tambourine, all right. And I'm like, relax. You don't know who that is, Janina. Okay, so, so we, <laughs> we have that. Pastor Michael and Jasmine, like, they grew up in the Anglican church. The Anglicans are lost. We can't even help them. We can't even help them. Forget that. They're in there. We have a pastoral apprentice now, brethren, a bit of Baptist world. It's a mix. It's wild. For me, I don't even know. Some days I wonder where I fit. Do you see how practical it is that we practice this value, even with our staff team? That together we know what it means to commit to worship Jesus as Lord, to hold to the essentials, to embrace the story that we have that God brought us together, to learn from each other, and to invite you to grow and learn in the same way. We model that together and we love each other. For years, for years, Christians have missed an opportunity to do this. And I want to encourage you that if you need to maybe take just one step and say, you know what, I need to brush up on like some of the essentials of the Christian faith and then kind of be okay with some of the other things that I like and I prefer. But if you want to write anything down, write this down and please remember it because I'll say it till I'm dead. Christianity did not begin when you became a Christian. And most people are like, I became a Christian in this church 15 years ago, and it's, gonna, it's like heaven. This church is like heaven. Sure it is. And Jesus looks like he's from Laval. I know. <laughs> the story that Jesus and the apostles gave to us is thousands of years old. We are anchored to a faith tradition that took down the Roman Empire. Pandemics, we laugh at pandemics. But... It takes followers of Jesus who are committed to pursue Christian unity. That means we know the essentials. And we never forget that Jesus prayed for us. The last one. We never, never forget our baptism. We remember our baptism. This is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this, Make every effort, every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's only one body and one Spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope when you were called and one Lord and one faith, one baptism, and he goes on and talks about one God. You can read it all. It's beautiful. And Paul says this is going to be so important. Paul would have heard this from Jesus, from the apostles, that your baptism, remember, you're baptized into this family, and in that baptism, you died to yourself, and you were raised to life again. And that means you have a new commitment, not only to learn to get along, anybody can get along, but that we are united to Jesus in his death, and that one day we will be united to him again in the resurrection. And maybe some of you are here, and you're thinking about that. That you're just at that spot where God's calling you to take that next step. We have a slide, the next slide. Just baptism is coming up. Just in a few weeks. We have a class coming up, and that class we talk about. And that class is so great because you really feel some of the, the differences that Christians have had about baptism over the years. But yet they've all agreed that baptism is essential. Unwavering, we must be baptized. But we, we struggle with different perspectives or how you should be baptized. We pursue Christian unity. We learn, we listen. But can I encourage you, if you're here, if you're watching online, and you've said yes to Jesus, you're growing, but you're not baptized yet. This might be the next step for you. The next step, the next reminder of saying, I need to be baptized, and I need to make it very, very clear that God's calling me to this Christian unity. If Jesus modeled not being isolated, I need to be planted somewhere to grow with others. Maybe that's you. If you have any questions or you're nervous or, you know, it's very common to feel like, I'm not sure, do I have to speak in front of people? You know, all the things we worry about, we can help with all those things. We can. Don't let in any way the evil one tell you, it's not a big deal. You could ignore this. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Especially if you want to be part of a church that's committed to pursue Christian unity together. We're going to do this together. In the last gathering, I, I just wanted to share something important that I shared with them about some of you who've been baptized. You've been baptized maybe a long time ago. And maybe you've forgotten the responsibility of modeling a special kind of unity where we would be sensitive when we talk about another Christian, another church, another community, where it's easy to just say, all oh, those people, these people, no, no, just to say, it's different. And people make mistakes and we're committed to unity. That doesn't mean we don't have difficult conversations. But we can have this dif- disagreements without demonizing. That's the way of Jesus. Even just Jesus disagreed with people, his disciples disagreed, but they learned to pursue Christian unity. It's easy to remember. I wanted you to remember this because sometime along the way, if you're part of this church, somebody will ask you, what kind of church are you a part of? I'm not sure. I grew up Catholic. I'm not sure. I went to the Orthodox. I'm not sure. I went to the... And you can say, hey... That's beautiful. We're committed to pursue Christian unity. Just come. Just come as we grow together. Jesus is maybe calling you to take that next step. Come do it with us. And we'll help you. Can I ask you just close your eyes and just think about those three simple ways that we practice Christian unity. We are committed together as the church. We will never let you believe that isolation and being alone is okay. Never. Because the Bible said... We should not neglect doing this together to encourage each other. We will never forget that Jesus, our Lord, prayed for us. And he has the strength we need to grow in complete unity. In the end, when we die, we'll experience that fullness. And the last thing is we're going to get more serious than ever to reminding each other of the gift of our baptism. 
Which one of those do you struggle with the most? Which one of those needs your attention now? Maybe it's your schedule that makes it easy to just be here when it works out, leftover time for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Do not neglect the importance of this as you grow with brothers and sisters. Maybe for you, you're just discouraged. You know Jesus is praying. You know that God wants us to be united, but the world is so broken. And you're discouraged and you're not sure. And and maybe there's even a habit where, you know, you've talked about other Christians and you left that church and it was easy to throw a bomb and make complaints. But remember, it's essential that we remember. On the essentials, we're always together. On secondary issues, we show grace. We can do that. Maybe God's calling you this fall to join a class, be at Alpha, be in a home group, and just learn the essentials of the faith. Just know them. Maybe that God's calling you to that. For some of you, it's time to be baptized. It's that simple. And if you are baptized, I want you to be praying this week for those that God is beginning to stir in their hearts, that they will make a public declaration of moving out of the ways of darkness to the ways of light. Do you know how difficult that will be for them? We will pray for them. We will carry them on our prayers because Jesus is calling them to say yes to baptism. Maybe that's for you. Take a minute and think about that we today are praying and worshiping Jesus with billions of Christians around the world. Pursuing unity in diversity in a world of division. That's the church of Jesus. And we will be that kind of church here. Let's just stand before we close. I'm going to pray in a second, but I just want to show you an image. And it's an image of just some logs in a fire burning. And I often think of this image because it's a powerful image for this value and for how important it's going to be to be together and to be united. That one of the ways sometimes that you would get one of these logs to cool down is to just take it and move it away from all the other logs that are on fire and just put it aside and wait. And within a short time, The fire of that log, the heat of that log will soon dissipate. Many of us can easily fall into the lie that we can be moved apart from where the fire, the power, the strength, the teachings of the church is and somehow remain committed by ourselves. And we're just moved aside and isolated and just like that log begin to lose all kinds of focus and purpose, the ways of Jesus. You know why that's so powerful? Because you didn't do anything wrong. You just stepped aside and were isolated. Some of the most difficult times in our lives are not even because we did something wrong. It's because we just ignored the importance of some of the things the Bible talks about. So maybe for some of you, you feel that distant a bit. And God's saying, hey, hey, get close. The the warm, the vision, the passion, the strength, the community together, you're going to need that to follow me. We did this in our previous service, so we're going to do it before we pray. 
just as a very important visual for us. And if you're watching online with someone, would you do this with us? Just I want you to hold the hands of someone next to you all the way through the aisles. So all the way through. Hold someone's hand. All the way right through the aisles. Across the whole room. No one should not be holding someone's hand. Marius, I'm holding your hand. Like I told at 9 o'clock, you're part of another group of people that were here at 9. This is the image of us being united together. People next to you, some you know well, some you don't. Different cultures. Some are super sweaty, some are cool. If I pull someone in the front right here, you're going to feel the jolt over there. You're going to be like somebody in our family struggling. Someone's feeling torn away and that matters to me. Where we encourage and we step in and we're aware We're united to each other. We're just going to hold this together because Jesus is praying for us, helping us. Let's just pray with that in mind. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus our Lord and the power of God the Holy Spirit who is with us, helping us to remember the ways of the evil one who would want to isolate us. We are committed to pursue Christian unity together, to grow in that as a staff and as elders. And we pray that you would cover our church over anything that would divide us, that would make us minimize the importance of your prayer in our lives so that the world would know, Jesus, that only you are Lord. Do it through us. I pray for those who are in this room listening online we're ready to take that step of being baptized. Would you help us to encourage them and help us to be ready to stir them on and to remind them of this special calling in unity with us? Would you do something new in our time and help us to be a church that not only learns about these values, but that we would live into these values to not only be the church we want, but to be the church the world needs. We will give an account to you, Jesus, for whether we did this one day. So we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. Love you. Love you guys. Hey, if you're next to someone, you're holding someone's hand that you don't know, hug them, tell them they're amazing. Love you all. See you soon. Happy Thanksgiving.